Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, as you're turning there. You know one of the things that will really get me to chuckle almost every time? They say, have you ever seen a neon sign where uh, a couple of the letters are out and it spells something totally different, something wrong? Y'all ever seen that? I think that's funny. A lot of them are inappropriate. I'm not going to share those ones with you, but um, some of them are really funny. And I got a list of them here. Uh, the men's warehouse became the me warehouse. So that's kind of neat. Um, this one I think is funny. London drugs, missing a few letters, became real big glowing letters at night. Do drugs. That's what it says. <laughs> it's not the message that they were trying to communicate, but that's what it The Burlington Cat Factory. Um, this one is my absolute favorite. Dynasty Buffet. The Dynasty Buffet became the Nasty Buffet. In that town, it's the Nasty Buffet from now on. When they fix that sign, don't care. It's the Nasty Buffet. Morrison's became morons. Um, that's not good for business. Scrapbooks. See it in your mind? The first S went off. That's a bad word. I can't say it. Um, Goodyear became, oh yeah. And this one is really just unfortunate. Funeral home became fun home. You don't want to have a first grade birthday party at that, at that fun home. The deal is that these lights are different. Okay, so it's not like the lights that we have on in the room now, the light that turns on when you open your car door, that sort of stuff, because those lights are for illuminating. They show you what is around. They show us so we can see. These lights are different in that they communicate. They have a message. And if they're missing part of it, then the message changes. The message is different. It could communicate something totally different than what it was intended to communicate. All throughout the Gospel of John, the book that we are looking at, the theme of light is used. John uses this idea of light as a metaphor to communicate things about Jesus, to communicate things about the mission, to communicate things about us as believers. I think where I'm challenging you today, the challenge that I've had this week is to ask ourselves, do we fully see what he's communicating? Do we see all of it? Or are we maybe missing a few letters here and there and, and walking around with a perception of what John, Matthew, other authors mean when they refer to light, light of the world. The passage that Bailey and you guys read just a moment ago refers to this light, the light of life and the light that was with humanity. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light? Let's pray together and then we'll dive into what will be, well, it's going to be one verse. We're just going to look at one verse today and one section of that verse. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our church. We're so encouraged by all the many, many guests, those who are checking us out, hanging out with us online and in person. We know they could go anywhere, God. It's a blessing that they're here. We're thankful for continued faithfulness 
of membership to give sacrificially for the work, the mission, and the ministry through this church for leadership that is committed to stewarding well what you have provided for us for the long-term success of this church. God, today I pray for those who walk in with a heaviness to their heart, a darkness, a, a, a cloud over the top of them, God, that they need light. They need illumination from Scripture in their mind. They need warmth and acceptance in their hearts. God, I pray that they would find that today in this text and most of all in you. God, we pray all of that in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So last week we talked about uh, John chapter 7 and the setting of that story. You will remember we went into great detail about it was the feast, the feast of booths. Now, they, well, this is still at the feast. Now, this isn't the beast feast, okay? So that's coming up pretty soon. You can still get tickets for that, guys. I want you to do that. It's not the beast feast. This is the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. And it was that yearly celebration that commemorated or memorialized what God had done for the Jews when he freed them from Egypt and they went um, through the wilderness. In chapter 7, verse 37, there, uh, Jesus stands up, he says, I am the living water. It says that he spoke up, he said to the crowd, I am the living water. Sounds like a weird thing for somebody to say, honestly, but it's not for Jesus. As part of the tabernacle or the feast um, celebration there, they would take a drink from a local spring, Siloam. They would take a drink from this Siloam and it was just one drink. Everybody would take it as part of the celebration. All right, they would take a swig of the spring. And this celebration was to, or this illustration was to memorialize that in the wilderness, God provided for them water. He did it a number of times, speaking to the rock, hitting the rock, and water came forth. And they, God provided that for the, the nation when they were walking around the wilderness. It's during that um, tradition that Jesus stands in the midst of that and says, I am the living water. Similar to what he said in John chapter four. Remember the Samaritan lady at the well, he tells her, I am living water. And if you come and anybody that drinks will never be thirsty again. That's the same kind of imagery that Jesus is using here. But he's using the tradition of the feast to teach that. Similar to what he's about to do here in just a second. This phrase, when he says this, it really causes quite a, a stir there in chapter seven and, and some of chapter eight. Uh, the people got mad. Some people are like, he's acting like he's a Messiah. Others are like, he's acting like a prophet. But they really attack him on one level, on one level. They don't go after his theology or the logical inconsistency that they saw or they did not see. They don't, they don't attack him on his words or his demeanor or his personality. They attack him on where he's from. They say, this guy's from a place where prophets don't come from. It's also interesting that in this section, what is in verse 51 and 52, our friend Nicodemus shows back up. And Nicodemus is walking around and he says, hey, we ought not judge this guy unfairly. They look at Nicodemus and say, oh, wait, are you from there too? Are you part of that? And so they really attack both Jesus and silence Nicodemus based on where he's from. And that's going to that's gonna play a part here in just a minute on what's going on. And so it's in this setting, at the feast, through the traditions that Jesus is teaching. And at one moment in verse 12, this is our main text. This is our only text this morning. This is what Jesus says. Jesus spoke to them again. What does that mean again? Well, he said, I am the living water. And now he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of 
life. There it is, that theme, that idea of light. Jesus refers to himself as light of the world. And we should spend some time there. What does Jesus mean when he says he is the light of the world? I heard a song just yesterday, and it was referring to the name of Jesus. And it is an interesting psychological, emotional thing that happens when we, when we see or hear the name of Jesus, right? The song said that in times of sadness, you can say Jesus, and it means comfort, right? You can evoke the name of Jesus, and it means comfort. In times of joy, we can say Jesus, and it and it elicits the emotion of celebration, those sort of things. Jesus is what we, what we cry out in hope. It's what we celebrate. It's this name, Jesus. And I get that. I feel that when it's sung, when it's said. I, I feel that way. And I think many of you do as well. The name Jesus, is, it's quite distinct. But then there's other names for him, these other designations like, like living water and light of the world, which I guess if you were in a trivia contest, that would be great. What are some of the names of Jesus? You could put that down. But in reality, what does he mean? And what does that mean for you? Here's another thing that I really question. If we're thinking about Jesus and he's, I am the light, what are the similarities between Jesus and light? And which ones mean more? Like, like let's say you have a certain image in your mind and it, Jesus means this, right? Does the person who's sitting next to you right now have the same idea? Are they right or are you right? Are you both right? Which one would be beneficial? What's the image that I have? What's the image that you have? That sort of idea. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to just sit in the idea of Jesus saying, I am the light. Like I said, all throughout uh, the New Testament, all throughout scripture, there are these themes. There's this idea of light that is being used. And one of them that is most, uh, most readily comes to my mind is this concept of a city on a hill. In Matthew chapter five, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Same phrase. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. In verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. They will see, they will observe what you are doing and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. So like I said, this is one of those main ideas. When we talk about light, this is one of the concepts that comes to mind. You ever been driving at night? You ever, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever taken a, a road trip? You're driving in a car and a lot of it happens at night. You're driving through the dark. This happened to me this last week. I um, was coming home uh, back here to Conway from North Texas and I got back into Conway around nine, all right? So it's already, it's dark, it's well past dark. And as you know, uh, between the, the, the river and Conway, it's pretty dark. There's not a lot there besides the exit to QT, which is the cheapest gas in the area. And so that's pretty much just, you know, the only thing that's happening. But as you approach Conway, it starts to light up. It lights up a lot. There are street lights in the middle of the highway that are not present on the other portions of the highway. There's also um, the hospital and the car dealerships and Sam's, you know, all that sort of stuff is going there. And it just, it's this big glowing light that in a very real way sort of draws you into the city. It welcomes you into the city. What was dark is now light. You can drive, you feel safe, that sort of stuff. That's the imagery that Jesus is using, this very same concept that you are that big, warm, 
light that draws people. They will see your good works and they will glorify your father. They draws people to uh, our, our father. That through the way that we relate to one another, there's diversity in a city and there's yet unity. There's acceptance of one another. There's compassion towards one another. There's age range and all that sort of stuff and wealth and poverty and all of it's together. But there's this unity and that diversity that, that good works, the compassion, the, the way that they will know that you are my disciples is by loving one another. All of that's happening. And so you're going to draw people towards God and, and, and that's good. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying in this text. I think my struggle with that though, is that sometimes or maybe often we as a church don't operate like that. Like the local church doesn't operate that way. It's not unity, it's just collection. There's not love towards one another. It's just, we kind of sit within close proximity once a week, but we don't know each other or struggle with one another. That oftentimes we're very critical and judgmental towards leadership and towards volunteers. We don't, we don't support and encourage. There's not peace. There's not unity that draws people towards who our father is. And yet, even though that is the case, I don't think it diminishes the light. I don't think it diminishes the concept that that is the example. That's the goal. That's, that's what we should be pursuing, that we should be this, this big beacon of hope, this love, this warmth that draws other people towards us. That's our example. And I think in this understanding, if Jesus is saying something along those ways that I am, Jesus is this, this, um, this, this, uh, this drawing warmth, this light, then I, then I can kind of understand how world and what world might mean in that text, right? He says, I am the light of the world. Whenever John says world, here's an exercise for you. What does he mean? What does he mean by world? Another text that uses the word is John three sixteen. you know, for God to love the world. What does he mean by that? Like one concept would be the planet is, is, is God saying, is Jesus saying, for God so loves the pale blue dot. Like the planet earth is his favorite planet, right? Is that, is that the con, that's, that's the one of the ways we say world. He's got the whole world in his hands, that sort of idea. Or, or maybe it means all the peoples of the world, right? Like all the individuals that have been and will be, God loves all of those, you know, just the same and equally. Or another way that we use the word world that you could understand it is um, we use it better. Like, you ever heard the phrase worldliness? And we mean like in a broken state, the world that's against Christ and all that sort of stuff. Maybe it is that God is saying, for God so loves humanity in its broken state. He loves them in their broken state that he sacrificed to make it right, to give them life, that sort of idea. So God is that big, Jesus is that big, shining, warm, drawing power towards God our Father. That could be what's going on in the text. I think it's good. I think it's a good way to see it. There's another way though that I see light. But maybe to be honest with you, this comes more from art or paintings than it does from scripture. But I see this as Jesus as a lighthouse. Not so much a city on a hill, but perhaps a lighthouse. And like I said, it largely comes from art or song. How many of you have ever seen the painting that depicts this lighthouse? And there's a man 
um, a person in the doorway there and the waves and the wind are crashing on the other side of the lighthouse. And it shows that Jesus, God is our stronghold, that he is that big, mighty fortress that protects us. Anybody ever seen that? You ever seen a picture that sort of depicts that? Or there used to be a song, or I guess there still is a song, but a song was popular that says, if it, if it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be, right? And so there's a concept there that Jesus is a lighthouse. The Jews weren't really seafaring people, so a lot of lighthouse uh, terminology isn't used in scripture, but I see it. I see that kind of concept. I see where people would get that. Luke 11, 33 through 36, which... Um, coincidentally, is, a, is a, um, a coinciding passage from the Matthew passage that we read. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the light or the lamp of the body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it's bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. And if therefore your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. What, he, what he's painting is this idea of you put a candle on a lampstand so that you can walk into the dark and you can see what obstacles are in front of you, what things you might crash into. Anybody ever uh, stubbed their little toe walking in the dark? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. It causes all sorts of physical and spiritual uh, responses, right? Instantly it happens. And from that point forward, you are always careful. You always want to light. You always want to observe and avoid the obstacles. He says the same thing. The light, the scriptures, God, God's presence, his spirit will shine a light into your soul so you can see the things that will, that will be obstacles, that will be challenges, that will dash you upon the rocks. This is the concept, the idea of a lighthouse. That if you were navigating a ship at, at night in the dark and maybe in storms, you know that there are dangers there and the lighthouse will point towards the dangers. will show you that there are dangers here. Avoid this area, avoid these things. And the obstacles are as various as there are individuals. All kinds of things can cause you to wreck. Two larger buckets that I want to describe for you are liberalism and legalism. The first is liberalism and it will wreck so, so many people. I'm not talking about liberalism in the way that politics, United States sort of civil politics uses it. I'm talking about in the way in which there are no boundaries. When you can redefine every word or thought or law, when there is no rule, when no rule or guardrail applies to anyone and you float through life doing whatever you feel like doing at the moment with no regard to what is true or what is right or how it affects other people, drifting through life like that will doubtlessly wreck you into the rocks. But keep this in mind. You can go off of the road on both sides of the road. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. And you can crash off of both sides just as easily. And so if we were to pretend that lib uh, liberalism is to the left, then legalism is to the right. This is when the constraints are too rigid. When you put yourself in the place of God and you create laws that he did not institute, the symptoms of legalism often come out in rules against things like alcohol, dress codes, hypocritical standards about entertainment or money practices. And these are just the symptoms. Sadly, what happens is that the legalist will build a wall around their heart and soul 
and they simply cannot follow God's lead. They can't even walk with Christ for fear that he might do something crazy like laugh or dance or raise his hands in the middle of a worship service. That rigid life in which you set a course and you do not veer from that regardless of what the Spirit is leading you to do will absolutely slam you into the cliffs. Liberalism and legalism are the things that the lighthouse is trying to shine a light on to make you avoid it, run from it. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying in the dark, in the storm, I am the, I am the, I am the one that is shining. I am the warning, the warmth of the city, the warning of the cliffs. Psalms 27 verse one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in this life. Who, who should I dread? When you are locked in on the lighthouse, you need not fear the rocks or the cliffs. You need only to navigate the way that he told you to navigate in the direction that he told you to navigate. I think the lighthouse is helpful for sure, vital even, but I think it has some shortcomings. I think only seeing Jesus and the idea of a lighthouse has its shortcomings. For one, it's so distant. It's so not personal. Jesus is up there on that cliff strong and safe. And I'm out here in the middle of the storm. I'm doing the best that I can with the wind and the waves, but yet in my best efforts, as strong as I can paddle, as much as I can do, I'm trying my best to reach that standard to do what he tells me to do. And yet in my best efforts, I might take my eyes off of the lights or I might fall asleep. I might just get so tired of fighting that I just give up. Does that ever, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like you know what the warning is? It's just that it's too strong. The wind and the waves are too strong. The, the addiction is too powerful. The temptation is too constant and too readily available that I am just rowing and I'm trying, that sometimes even the baggage of my life is too heavy and as best as I try to jettison whatever cargo I can, I don't know. Sometimes it just feels like if that's what Jesus means by he's being that light, it's just way up there something I cannot achieve. And so again, there's nothing wrong with understanding light in the Bible this way. A big, beautiful, warm, and, and, and living, vibrant city that draws people toward our king. Or a lighthouse on the sea that warns of danger and is a stronghold in the storm. These are good. And maybe those are the ways that you have seen Jesus when he says, I am the light. But I think that there's at least one other way to see this a bit more personal. I think that's a guiding light or a lantern. This, I am convinced, is the way that Jesus is referring to lights in this text. This is the way that I, I believe that Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world, that it is close, that it is personal, that it is guiding, that it is step by step, not simply on a hill or on the cliff, but right there with the people. Remember, Jesus is saying this on the last and most important day of the feast. That's what 727 says. And during that time, not only did they take a drink from the spring, but they also lit a menorah. They lit a, a big candelabra, a big light. And that reminded the people of a time in which God led the children of Israel through the wilderness. He freed them from Egypt and they were led through the wilderness and his presence was made known through a pillar of cloud and light. 
of fire. That pillar both protected and provided for the Jews. It moved in between the Jews and the pursuing Egyptian armies that wanted to recapture and kill them. It protected them. It provided shade in the, in the day and warmth at night. It also symbolized the presence of God. When that pillar rested on that tent and Moses went into that tent, we knew, Egypt, uh, Israel knew, we, I wasn't there, but we know from reading the scripture that, that uh, God's presence was there, that he was close that he provided, that he protected. That's what is underlined in the whole debate in the first place. They said, this guy can't be a prophet. He's not from the right place. And then in verse 14, when Jesus responds to them, so uh, verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. You testify or your testimony is not valid. Jesus's response is very interesting. He said, even if I do testify about myself, My testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I came from or where I am going. The whole idea when Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am close. I am present. I will walk with them. I will walk with you. This is the image that Jesus is invoking. We know that a lot of life is driving in the dark. We know that there are times in life in which you are at sea in a storm. And it is good to have a city on a hill to draw us forward. It is good to have a lighthouse to show us where the warnings are, but we need a lantern in the boats. We need a light on the path. Jesus will navigate, he will help you navigate relationship problems, right? Huge part of the things that cause us angst, cause us struggles. He will help you navigate financial issues. Love and money seems to be what we most stress out about. Jesus says, I will be there. I will guide you through that. We will walk together on these things. Not too long ago, my family and I, we went up to King's Bluffs. I told you about this. We wanted to see uh, the changing of the foliage and we wanted to see a sunset and we saw neither. And we went out there and before we got going, I, I had this pack of Ozark Trail, you know, the Walmart brand uh, lanterns and, and little flashlights. It's just, the little flashlights are like that big and there's a little button at the, bo- the back of them. And I made this whole, whole thing out of getting, make sure we had five of those and make sure we had batteries and all that. And Jackie, even at the time, was like, why are you doing this? We're not gonna use the flashlights. I was like, I don't know, you never know, you know, you never know. You might have to throw it at a bear. So I don't know, so. We got these flashlights, we put them in our little satchel, our little bag there, and we went out to the cliff. We, we took videos of the boys dancing around. We had a good time, all that sort of stuff. And then we, we tried to make our way back. But I mean, as soon as we turned around, it had gotten much darker. At that point, there was still like a pale blue light in the, in, in the sky, but the sun was well behind the mountains, behind the cliffs. And what little light did make it through was swallowed up by the underbrush and the trees and the shadows that were there. And so as we tried to navigate our way back through this trail that we had not been on before, except for one time going down, we had all these uh, crossroads. Do we go right? Do we go left? Do we go up? Do we go down? You know, which ways do we go? So we passed out those little lights and we had the little lights and each one of us had a light in order to help us see exactly what the next step was. At one point, I took out my keys and I pushed the little lock button and I couldn't hear. We couldn't see. 
We walked a little further, navigated and guided by those little lights, and I pushed the button again. We could hear, but we couldn't see. I could hear the honk, you know, when it locked. We walked a little bit further, and finally, I pressed the button again, and we could hear it, and we could see the lights. It was like a big, beautiful Ford F-150 lighthouse on a hill. (laughs) It's like, that's what we need to go toward. But as good as it is to hear the direction, to see where we need to go, that was not at all helpful for which steps we needed to take. So the, for the good thing is that Jesus, when he says that he is light, he is saying that he's a guiding light, a light that comes alongside of us when we need it. Here's the good news of the story. The hope is that Jesus is calling all people toward himself. See, you remember what else he said? He says, I am the light of the world. What's the very next thing that he says? Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. I want to encourage you today to follow Jesus if you haven't. My friend, there's no reason that you should continue to drive in the dark, to be at storm, be at sea in the storm, or to walk the path in darkness. The invitation is open for you to accept Jesus, to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to have that guiding light, to walk alongside him. And just like my family, it's personal to everyone. I want to invite you to follow Jesus today. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.